Have you heard about our WGT challenge? It's basically the opposite of watching a Broncos game in that it doesn't take that long and it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> this week's This is where it's going, huh? <laughs> this week's hole is hole number one at Congressional. Make sure you get in on the challenge. Go to freewgt.com, download the app, and play hole number one on the closest to the hole challenge at Congressional. Send us a screenshot of how close you got it. And if you're the closest, you're going to win a prize. If you aren't the closest, you'll just get an entry into our final grand prize drawing, which will be your choice of a jersey or tickets to the game. So make sure you get in on that. Let's jump into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high. The best part of the weekend, hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend, having a good time when the orange and blue W I. Coming to you from high above Empowerfield. Now we, now it has a name. Uh, We're high above Empowerfield. It's the BSN Broncos podcast, which is presented, as always, by Strava Craft Coffee. And probably need some Strava Craft Coffee here today as it is creeping towards the 10 o'clock hour. Oh, that's pretty early based on the standards of these post-game pods. Either way, need some caffeine to wake us up from what was a snoozy performance from the Broncos until about the last 55 seconds of the game when things got interesting. So breaking it down with me to my right is Zach Stevens and to my left is Andrew Mason. Ding, ding, ding. Go ahead. Aye, 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 aye. <laughs> what are we doing here? I mean, speaking of StravaCraft coffee, you know who needs some StravaCraft coffee is the Broncos offense. We have three points until the fourth quarter from this offense. We have nine total points in the first three quarters of the first two games of the season. Nine total points in six quarters. Mace, you could that's one and a half points a quarter, right? That is, is that bad? That is that is terrible. <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. I don't know. If you have the Patriots offense, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Patriots defense, I should say. Patriots defense, they're only allowing one point five a game. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Broncos defense, I mean, I hate these games where it feels like the Broncos defense did something wrong. And then you look at the scoreboard and you're like, oh, they gave up 16 points. Yeah, it's well for the second week in a row and the Raiders didn't the Bears didn't do this as much as the Raiders did. But the emphasis was on diffusing the Broncos pass rush it and the Bears went about it in a different way than the Raiders. There were some lightning quick sub 2.0 second throws for Mitchell Trubisky, but there was also a lot of getting him out of the pocket and a lot of reliance on the running game from the Chicago Bears. Can't blame him. David Montgomery was very effective at times in this game. But the Broncos can expect to see teams continue to do this until they figure out a way to counter it. And even though the Green Bay offense isn't all sunshine and lollipops right now, Aaron Rodgers can still get the ball out quick and can cause some problems. But really, as I sit here, guys, obviously 
you can point to certain details that are positive, but then you can also say, well, there's something to counter that. For example, you can say, well, Joe Flacco and Emmanuel Sanders, they're doing well. They're doing some good pitch and catch things out there. It looks like the heart of what the Broncos uh, can accomplish on offense is with those two. But at the same time, you can't mention something good like that without mentioning six flipping holding penalties in this game. Oh, man. And, and Ten holding penalties over the last two weeks. Four on Garrett Bowles. Garrett Bowles now in his last four regular season games has eight holding penalties. Not all of them are accepted, but... He's getting worse. Yeah. You know, as Herb Brooks would say, would have said, he's getting worse and worse every day. Right now he's playing like the middle of next month. <laughs> he, that's the scary thing is you bring in Mike Munchak, and he's supposed to be the offensive line whisperer. And <laughs> but he do, it does take time. It does take time. In ta- Pittsburgh, it didn't happen overnight. That didn't become an elite unit in that first year. They made progress, but they ain't hit elite until two or three years. But down you the said line. it right there. You said the word progress. We are seeing regress. He's going the wrong way. He is getting worse everyone, on the field. But everyone else except Ron Leary. But I think Ron is playing hurt right now. But Connor McGovern, Dalton Reisner. Elijah Wilkinson, they're playing better. And that is exactly my point. This is not Mike Munchek's fault. You've given him a project that cannot be finished. It is uh, an impossible dream to think that Mike Munchek could turn Garrett Bowles into, you know, a solid left tackle in this league. And now you've, you've, you've held on too long. You are in this problem where you don't have a left tackle. And, and there is benching Garrett Bowles is not an option because there's no one you can turn to, Zach. Exactly. And uh, what gives you confidence that Mike Munchuk, as Garrett Bowles called him this evening, what gives you confidence that Mike Munchuk will be able to turn Garrett Bowles around? Because before training camp started, during training camp, before the season, it was, he's, he's Mike Munchak. Of course he's going to be able to. It may take some time, but he's going to be able to. Now two games into the season where, Ryan, you're right, we're seeing him regress. And then after the game, we're not seeing anything. And when you talk to him, you're not seeing anything that would make you think, okay, well, you know what, he struggled, but boom. We saw the light turn. Now he's going to be doing the extra things. We don't see anything, and that's where the problem is. You have to be able to want it and put the work in in order for it to turn around, in order for this coaching to help you. And, the light's not even flickering, let alone on. Well, it's flickering, and it's flickering in the fact that he's he's standing up there and he's blaming the officials. He's <laughs> moaning about that. That bothered me. It Unfortunately, Garrett Bowles acting like he didn't hold his body language by the way is right there with Jay Cutler it's terrible in terms of after he's flagged and he can't forget about it one penalty becomes two becomes three so fast remember last year against the Chargers when he had back-to-back holding penalties Mm. at one point and unfortunately Garrett Bowles's struggles and his frustrations have become the avatar for the Broncos of the last two-plus seasons, right down to the fact that he's blaming the officials. And there were, look, there were a lot of guys in that locker room blaming the bad roughing the passer call, and I get that. But I like what Justin Simmons said when he talked about, hey, there were four or five other plays. Yep. If we make those, that roughing the passer call, that holding call, 
they don't they don't matter. Winners understand that if you do enough, you can create a buffer zone to where a bad call or two doesn't cost you a game. But there was more moaning about the officiating in that locker room than I've ever heard after a Broncos game. And I can tell you this. I remember 2015, there was a bad pass interference call against Chris Harris Jr. when he was covering Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. But the general consensus of that locker room that night after the loss and the days following was, you know what? We got to do more to make sure a call like that can't beat us. That's the attitude I want to see. That's what's missing right now. And that is winning culture. That was a winning football team with a winning quarterback and great leadership that could withstand something like that and understand, let's look ourselves in the mirror. But I wrote about this after the game. In just three years, all of that has been undone. This team went from a a team with winning culture of a, and a proud franchise that had a history of winning culture, and they've learned how quickly that can be undone. This team is plagued by losing culture right now. And I saw losing culture up close and personal in Boulder when they were just stuck in the dumps. And it's the same old stuff. It's pointing fingers at your teammates. It's pointing fingers at the refs. It's lashing out you know, at the referees, lashing out at the media. It's, it's all this stuff. You see it. It's so obvious to see that this is what losing culture looks like. And to me... That's really that's really worrisome because now you're you're asking a a coach who has never done this before to not only get things right on the field in terms of X's and O's but also rebuild your entire culture. I think you have to empower him to do that. You do. And you're an empower field, and you empower him to make some tough decisions, personnel wise, in the nature of getting the culture of the locker room right. And you know what? It's possible you may have to make a difficult choice that costs you games in the short run. But if you lose to Green Bay next week and you're 0-3 coming back to face Jacksonville, but then in October looking at the the Chargers in L.A. with Phillip Rivers, Joey Bosa and friends, the Titans, you know, that's the kind of team that gives the Broncos so much trouble because they're power, power, power. And then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. If you're sitting there at 0-3 and things can, after Green Bay and, it's, it's very likely, I think, given the way this team is trending, how the Packers look, especially on defense. Green Bay looks ominous on defense for the Broncos. I think at that point, you start thinking big picture, beyond the whole let's try to win now, blah, 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 and you start thinking about 2020 and beyond and letting Vic get that locker room right the way he wants it. The people who are all in, the people who have the right kind of attitude that can help you for the long term. Well, and, and if that means mid-season trades, so be it. Ryan, you asked me after the game. You said, "Are you more do you feel more encouraged or discouraged after this game?" And I said, "I feel more discouraged about this team." And you kind of said, "Oh, interesting because it the the, the uh, from what you saw, the 14-16 to 16 game, it was a close one. They were in it. They came back, lost in a heartbreaker at the end against a team that was 12-4 and four last year. So uh, on the field, it seems like, okay, uh, it seems pretty good. But then I outlined how bad the offense was uh, again until, until crunch time today. But really, why I feel more discouraged is because of what you guys have talked about. 
and it's that losing attitude. It feels like the the way the players were acting tonight, uh, immediately after the game when multiple players were throwing their helmets after the game, it felt like they knew the season was over. And that right there, and then listening to them in the in the locker room just seemed so discouraged, and then making more excuses, ma- making 100 excuses and accepting zero responsibility. Maybe you guys heard one person stand up and, and, and take some responsibility. I didn't hear any of that, and that is a losing culture. You will not be able to win. Th- this team is not good enough to be able to to just go out there and not expect to get better each week. They have to, and they're not doing that. That's why I'm so discouraged. I heard that from Justin Simmons. That's why he's on the lifeboat. I heard that, and I saw that on the field from Kareem Jackson, who had another phenomenal game. Both those guys were absolutely balling out there in the secondary, making difference, making plays. Those are two guys I want with me on the lifeboat, that I want on the island. For sure. So there's some guys. There were but there's some guys a lot of, but there's a lot of others going but on. There were m- maybe more than you would think that actually t- uh did, but it was always after something. And once you've already said right. one thing, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you say these refs were terrible. I can't believe this happened. Um, you know, we should have won that game, but of course, you know, in the end we have to win. Like it's, once, okay. it's exactly what Gary Bull said. Right, exactly. Once you've already you you can't say like blame 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 blame, but it has to be the other way around. Right. We have to be better, and we shouldn't let this happen. But I do disagree with that with that uh, uh, call on, on Bradley Chubb, and I think this is a good way to segue into kind of what happened there at the end of this game. And I think you start with that call. It was a bad call. It's a, it's a terrible rule, and it's a bad call. And even if you, in my opinion, even if you want to say the whole body weight or argument – First of all, Bradley Chubb had nowhere to go. He's stuck in a in a composed in a compressed pocket. He had nowhere to roll. But on top of that, Charles Leno pushed him down on top of Trubisky. So, miss me with that. It was a bad call. Anyone disagree? I don't disagree. But also, the Bears can complain about a similar call against Eddie Goldman. Totally. Right. Li- this is yeah. this is like watching a badly umpired game, but the umpire is missing the same. Outside, outside strike. Yep. Same, and so yeah, it it was poorly officiated, but at least it was poorly officiated consistently. Right. And any anyone that rolled with us last year knows that I am not here for these type of excuses from players, from fans, from the coaches. I am not here for it because just as you said, Mace, the Bears could could say so many plays that win against them as well, or, or poor poorly officialed plays. Yeah. I mean, look. We've all been around this town. We know what winning football and winning attitude looks like. Right now, this isn't it. That ain't it. Okay, so anyways, they're able uh, to, after that penalty, force, because that brings the the Bears all the way to the 45-yard line with, I want to say, about 20 seconds left. They're still able to force them into fourth and 15 from their own 40. Yep. Fourth and 15 from their own 40. They 12 have, seconds left. With 12 seconds left, they have to get 25 yards to get into field. No, with nine seconds left, 25 yards to get into field goal range with nine seconds left, fourth and 15 from their own 40. No matter what happened to that point, you have them where you want them. 
That's this, all you can ask for. If, if you told Vic Fangio on the field before the game, Coach, you got 4th and 15 from your own 40 with 9 seconds left in the game. You're up by 1. Are you going to take that? He'll take it 1,000% of the time. And that's where I just think all the excuses have to go out. Yep. Forget yep. about anything else that happened in the rest of the game that led up to that point. You had them where you wanted them. And in the famous words of Dennis Green, you let him off the hook. Mm -hmm. if, this, if this defense is what it believes it can be, it makes that stop. And that's kind of, the, and again, if you look at the last two to three seasons, yeah, the defense is good. Yeah, it's got some stud players out there. But we can also look at games like this one where they didn't make the key stop. I was mattered most. I was convinced we were going to be able, you know, we were going to be able to say everything's alleviated because Von Miller got the game-winning sack at the end of the game. Now they are, you know, they're off the schneid when it comes to not getting a snack. They're off the schneid, a sack, not a snack. I'm hungry. Uh, they're off the schneid when it snack. comes to not getting a win. All that stuff. I thought it was all going to be allevi alleviated in one play there at the end of the game, and uh, it wasn't true. That so now you are two weeks, two losses, zero turnovers, zero sacks. That's the biggest problem with this team right now. We knew this offense wasn't going to be great. The offense has to be better. It has to be. But the defense has to be elite. And you know what elite, elite defenses do? Just look at the Broncos in 2015. Not only do they make plays consistently, they make plays when you need plays to be made. The Broncos defense hasn't made a play this offseason or, or in, in these first two games, let alone in crunch time. And this pass rush is what needs to be elite. It is what John Elway has invested his twoest, he his two highest draft picks in is Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. These guys were supposed to be great this year, especially as a as a duo. And they didn't do it. They they didn't do it at all. That play, fourth and fifteen, that is where Von Miller makes his eighteen million dollars. That is where Bradley Chubb shows that he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Silent. Trubisky's back there, back there, back there, steps up. He has time for the receiver to get open in the middle of the field, twenty five yards down the field, just like he needed to, and game over. At least Bradley Chubb had a couple quarterback hits, a TFL, five tackles. Stat line's not everything, but Von Miller had one tackle and one assist today. Oh, That's it. I don't remember saying his name, thinking his name, feeling his name. No. Nope. No. The whole game. No. Nope. And there's something else from Von Miller, and I have to say this. He refers to games in which he doesn't get a sack and the team loses as double losses, double L's. There's only one L that matters, okay? It's the one on the scoreboard. If you don't get a sack but the team wins, fine. You got the dub. Yeah. That bothered me a bit, too. Especially from your team leader. Well, and the, the, the real question is, I'm, I'm okay with him saying it's a double loss. The real question is, if you win and you don't get a sack, is that one and one on the day? Yeah. It's like he... I think so. Because that's the wrong mindset. The unsaid thing there is that, are these owls and dubs, are they equal? I would hope not. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on here. Uh, even do, going down to the last play, the, the the biggest I understand being upset about the Bradley Chubb call because I I hate the call. It's a really bad call. What I don't like is them complaining about the time on the clock. It's very clear when you watch it over. There's a second on the clock. Now there's some debate to be had regarding whether or not. Uh, can you call like is it possible to call a timeout simultaneously as a player is going down uh you know should there have to be a, 
a certain amount of time to call a timeout, all of these things. But in the end, here's where I'm at. If Chris Harris Jr. just leaves him there, I would assume that the referees are going to take at least a second before they decide he's officially given himself up and the game would be over at that point. Well, what's interesting there, Chris, because Chris is tagging him, and look, Chris is doing what instinct tells you to do. So I don't fault him in the least. He thinks he's getting the stop that, that sealed the game. So I don't put that on Chris at all. But the bottom line is, I know there are some fans that, that are saying, oh, well, maybe they didn't get a timeout. We don't have the angle that shows that, and even the All-22 won't show that because the All-22 will zoom in on the ball and the pass. But I would be flabbergasted if Matt Nagy is not over on the east sideline right next to a side judge going timeout, timeout, timeout. And if you freeze-frame Allen Robinson's catch, he's on the ground, Chris is tagging him, there's still one second on the clock, and if Matt Nagy is doing what I'm sure he was doing and yelling timeout, 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 there's no doubt there's one second on the clock, Pinheiro can attempt the kick. I understand you saying that Chris is is it's human nature. You're you're trot your whole life to make tackles. But sometimes isn't understanding situ- situational football about not acting in that regard? Well, but also one thing that may be going through his mind and the mind of any defensive back is what if you don't tag the guy and all of a sudden you've got a rerun of Minnesota versus New Orleans in the NFC divisional playoff back in January of twenty eighteen. And if you don't tag him and he gets gets up, what if Allen Robinson goes all the way to the end zone? You might have been able to do it. Well, either way, you lose in both of those scenarios. I just, I just feel like there should have been. Uh, I think you can count on a veteran to know the time and the score and realize we just got to corral this guy and not let him, and not let them get the timeout. But there's another thing that could be happening there. Like, what if if you don't tag him, you could say Allen Robinson simply giving himself up. Right, and, and if you would judge the giving himself up to happen at one second and somebody's calling timeout, then you know this is all details and they still have the one second on the clock and that's it. Right. I just think giving themselves up, you have to you have to wait a second to know, oh, did he give himself up before you know that he's you know in the fetal position on the ground rather than he just slipped to the ground and he's you know not getting up. But you could correct that with a huddle and a non replay replay, as it were, basically. I, I think if Chris had not tagged him, but they're hollering for timeout. I think they get the second. Yeah, I think if you just if if you look at this play from a non-Broncos perspective, it's easy. Uh, of of course that there was one second when he went down, and of course Matt Nagy's there just screaming timeout, timeout, timeout. It, it, if this was the opposite, Broncos fans would be saying it was a great call uh, by by the officials. I think it it's was. Inter- it, 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 yeah, it, it, it was right. The they Broncos, got it right. The There's Broncos nothing did not that went get hosed. No, it, no, no, not at the end. That's for sure. It's interesting to get to get the non-Denver perspective. Friend of the program, uh, friend of mine, Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports. He said, "I don't get the controversy here at all on this." So the controversy is just Broncos fans were upset, and the players were upset, and everyone was upset that they lost the game. And you're looking for something to point out. If you want to point to something, honestly. Go back to the Bradley Chubb thing, because at least you have a case there. He, yeah. That's a here, bad call. Here's the thing but with Eddie that, Goldman's though. a bad call, too. Here's the thing with that. Are, are you confident saying the Broncos would have absolutely stopped the Bears in moving? Because Mitchell Trubisky, went the, he went the 25 yards on 4th and 15. He, he got what seemed to be the impossible 
He got that. So who's to say that he's not going to go and get that? Who's to say that that fourth and fifteen he's not getting forty on? Well, another thing, like let's say, no let's say you only rush three and Trubisky takes his time, but then he wait he waits for a lane to open up. Trubisky can rip off a thirty yard run like that. It's actually the thing that he does best is the proclivity for the explosive run that discombobulates a defense. For all you know, if you don't rush Bradley Chubb, if you kind of have him lay back a little bit. What's to say Trubisky doesn't just take off and get to midfield anyway in that scenario? So, yeah, I want Bradley Chubb attacking, and even if there's a penalty there, I'm not bothered. I'm bothered by the call. I'm not bothered by Bradley Chubb going in there and hitting Mitchell Trubisky, not one iota. In the end, an L is an L is an L is an L is an L, and it doesn't matter. And, and there are a lot of L's in the last 16 games, by the way, when you put it like that. And unfortunately, I think we might one day be looking back and saying, well, Good thing they went and converted that uh, fourth and fifteen there because it helped the Broncos draft position. <laughs> hate to by, be, by hate the to way, be there already, but I think that's where we might be in uh, in short time. By the way, I love what ifs. What if there had not been an offside penalty on the PAT after the Sanders touchdown with thirty-one seconds left? Can you imagine the evisceration that by Brandon way, that- McManus would have received from missing the PAT? Well, how about uh, for the offense for not getting the playoff? Yeah, yeah, the delay of delay game. of game. By the way, there were some real curious game management things, errors like the delay of game there on the PAT, like at the end of the first half. Now there was a penalty that was involved with this, but you get the ball back, but you're you're deep in your own territory. The Bears have one timeout. The thing to do at that point is. Maybe you do a draw play to try to get some yardage, but then beyond that, you just go to the half. You have an incomplete pass. You have a Garrett Bowles holding, which is declined, but that stops the clock. And then, lo and behold, the Bears call, are able to call a timeout after the third down stop, and they get a possession that never should have happened. It's poor execution, but it's also poor game management on the Broncos' part. And this happened last week, too, where, where there were questionable game management. And what's the most bizarre thing about that? Vic Fangio was supposed to be great at game management. Is it because he's on the sideline? If so, get him up in the booth. I think we're going to say that. I mean, as long as these L's keep coming, we're just going to be able to point to all these questionable things like this. This is death by inches. This is what we were hoping this team would get away from after losing games last year because of game management. It's still a problem. And if it continues, they will lose a game because of poor game management. How different does this team look than as opposed to last year's Vance Joseph's team? None. In so many ways. I mean, the games are ending in a very similar fashion, Ryan. We, we talk about that all the time, about how, uh, you know, they're always in it at home. It feels like they're always in it, and they it's always the same, lose in a same funky ending. way. It's, it's the a, same ending every time. It's the same ending, and they get there the same way, too. No wonder that you had a, a horde of fans leaving after the interception by Kyle Fuller with four and a half minutes to go. Can you blame them? They've, they've been to this opera before. They know how it turns out. An important update for those who listened to our last post-game <laughs> podcast. The weird, dirty mousetrap thing, still here. No, no don't touch it. You're no. asking something to squirt out of there. What are you doing, man? <laughs> I just wanted to see. No no mice have been caught yet here in the trap. It's still really disgustingly dirty. Well, that, that don't, the, mice, the mice only run free in Oakland. <laughs> but I, I can report to you, I did not see any mice in the press box last Monday night. It was about the only thing that went right. Well, they were eating the internet, right? They ate the what? I think they ate the cables. <laughs> well, I've seen multiple mice in this here press box, so they're not uh, absolved of we've, any. We've certainly felt their presence, haven't we? Heard we, their presence? We literally heard a mouse stampede <laughs> over our heads in this exact spot. This is what you get when you stay late. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure after that you might need some Breckeridge Brewery uh, beers, or maybe you need something a little stronger than that. But <laughs> they've got some strong ones. You could just go with an IPA <laughs> if you need something nice and strong. Uh, whether you're two and zero or zero and two. Breckenridge brews are damn good beers, always. Did you see my uh, Periscope the other night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to clip that, just the beginning part there, the damn good beers part. Um, we love them. They love us. You love us. You love them. They're they're simply undefeated. Have any of their beers, you'll love it. It's yeah. a dub. Breck Brew is definitely 2-0, for sure. All right. Well, also, if you're in need of an electrician... For over 35 years, Piper Electric has been some of the most fairly priced, dependable, and trustworthy electrical contract companies in the Denver community. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the BSN back-to-school hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. And maybe the Broncos could get Piper Electric in here, not just for some of the wires that the mice have have, uh, chewed (laughs) up, but maybe just to add some electricity into this stadium as we move on here into the second segment. Where do you guys want to go with this? Man alive. Um, <laughs> do we want to actually say, okay, there were some things that did go right that you can lean on? I mean, do we want to, yeah, let's do do we want to actually try to extract some positives? Okay, I'm going to start here. Emmanuel Sanders. Baller. His ball is a baller. Yep. And he's back. And if he and Joe Flacco stay healthy, even if this team ends up having a lousy season in the win-loss ledger, Manuel Sanders might have a career year on the stat line. They are in sync. San- it is, the, it is along with Philip Lindsay, I would say the one truly reliable thing about this offense. Although even Lindsay's kind of had some ups and downs, but he did enough explosively to where you feel good about him. But Flacco to Sanders is as good as you could have reasonably hoped for for two guys finding cohesion despite having never played together before and really never not having any kind of offseason because Emmanuel was rehabbing. I've got one for you. How about Dalton Reisner? Playing at a Pro Bowl level already. Two games into his career. Which is exactly why you cannot, I repeat, you cannot move him around for the sake of trying to replace Garrett Bowles. It would not. Remember what that did to Lou Vasquez. And he was a veteran. You got one thing right. So just make sure that that stays right. You're gonna have your ne- you're gonna have uh, your left guard set up here for the next ten years at least. Don't mess with it. Don't don't mess with it at all. And another one, another young guy, Royce Freeman. Philip mm-hmm. Lindsay's got and rightfully so has got all the attention since last year began. Royce Freeman not only averages nearly five yards per carry today, but also he's a second leading receiver behind Emmanuel Sanders. This is a guy where if you want Philip Lindsay to be great for a long time. You mm-hmm. need Royce Freeman to be at least good. And so far, he, he's been good. He's not been fantastic, but he's been good. They look like 1-1A. One one That's what you were asking, right? They be on that same level. Some of Freeman's cutbacks today were breathtaking. Mm. He's really improved at that. And he's in this scheme, this zone-blocking scheme, he's doing a wonderful job at making sharp cuts and then being decisive when the hole flashes open. That's the key to success in this scheme. The hole isn't going to be there for a while. You've got to see it, make the commitment, and go. Bobby Turner, when he was the longtime running back coach here, he used to say one cut and go over and over and over. That was his mantra. 
that philosophy, Curtis Mockins is, is espousing that in this scheme, and you're seeing success for Royce Freeman. That's a positive development. You can't argue you, with 102 yards from scrimmage today, five catches, and then 4.92 yards per carry on 11 attempts. Great day for number 28. Should have fed him more. I mean, the game was never more than 10 points out of out of control. 11 carries wasn't enough for a guy who was averaging five yards a carry. Well, you add up Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay as well, and you got Royce Freeman there with 102 yards from scrimmage, and you have Philip Lindsay with 66. So 168 of your yards from scrimmage are coming from those two guys. And then Emmanuel Sanders pitching in 98. It's, it's, it's pretty clear what's working on this offense and right. which guys you have to ride. And I saw some promise from Noah Fant today. Mm-hmm. That 24-yard catch, watch how he reads the coverage and finds the gap in the zone. And then Joe Flacco, you know, he loves his tight ends. He knows how to find he knows how to find them when they get open like that. He read it perfectly. So you had four catches for him, four catches for uh, Jeff Hireman, but only 21 yards. It was just kind of, you know, just quick stuff, dumping off, uh, getting, you know, getting a little bit down the field. So in the sum, that meant you had uh, nine catches for tight ends because Fumagalli had one. But Noah Fant, you see promise that you see something promising. Now he has two catches over the first two games of 20-plus yards. If he keeps having one explosive reception like that every game, then he's going to end the season with the kind of stat line that leaves you very excited about what's to come in year two. All right, all right. Enough of the positivity from this game. No, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But I have to – so we, we've talked about a lot of bright pieces from the offense, so I have to ask, what's the deal? How are they putting up nine total points in the first three quarters of both games combined? Because Joe Flacco, the stat sheet, just like last week, when you look back at the stat sheet from Joe Flacco, had a better statistical game than, than Derek Carr. Again, he had a better statistical game than Mitchell Trubisky, although Mitchell Trubisky was actually bad in this game. Joe Flacco, 35 of 50, almost 300 yards, one touchdown, one pick, a 80 quarterback rating. Quarterback rating, that is darn good. And a passer rating of 83, that is, you know, pedestrian. But what's going on? Emmanuel's balling. He has 11 catches on 13 targets and a touchdown. Uh, Royce Freeman, your second running back, is looking good. And uh, and your quarterback's holding well, in there. How are, they, how are they doing so poorly? They are anemic in the red zone. And... Every time they cross midfield, they get a holding penalty. Mm. So this team can move the ball, and they do have pieces, and they have guys who create mismatches, and they have uh, a scheme that can make that can allow them to make plays. But, man, you have to get more creative, and you have to get better when you get down to the red zone. Everything gets tighter, and you cannot afford – I mean, someone should should look how many of those holdings came on the, on the right side of the 50-yard line or even – you know, in between the 40s, because that's when you're showing that you're starting to move the ball in this offense and this team really, but in this point specifically, this offense is not good enough to overcome a holding call. Nope. Nope. And and it's, it's right when they get into field goal range is when they shoot themselves in the foot, whether it's a sack, uh, whether it's a negative play, whether it's those holdings, it's like, it's almost like clockwork. When they get to the, about the 35 yard line, you know, they're just going to go beep, beep, they have met the enemy, and it is them. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. The Bears, it's a talented defense, but the Broncos, their offensive shortcomings, they only have themselves to blame. And here we are sitting here talking about 14 points from four possessions that went to the 25-yard line or closer. So 
if you extend the red zone to the 25, and some teams consider the red zone to be the 25, not the 20. That's 14 of a possible 28 points. And Brandon McManus, hey, he's, you know what? He's got, what, 16 points so far this season or something <laughs> like that? 17. 17. Almost 16. But uh, an offsides from the Bears helped him. Oh, no. He oh, didn't, no, that he didn't, that he didn't get the PAT at the end. Right. So, wait, let's say. So. Let's see, sixteen in two games, eight times sixteen. That's uh, that's putting him on a pretty pretty nice pace there. That's putting him on a about a uh, one hundred twenty-eight point point pace for the season. Mm. But still, if Brandon McManus doesn't have the offside penalty, oh my goodness, <laughs> oh man, I, I would have. But oh. I mean, then we're I, not then we're not roasting the pass rush as much. We're I, roasting Brandon McManus. I wouldn't have been roasting Brandon McManus. I would have been roasting the offense. For when you go out there and you try and be ballsy and win the game. And you have a delay of game. And the thing is, based on what players said, the plan in that scenario all along is go for two. They know Which I love, by the way. I don't love the fact that it's with 31 seconds left because the problem there, by going for two with that much time, that if you get it, hey, it's well and good, but the Bears then know they have to drive downfield, so they're going, to pu- they're going to push it as much as they can. If you go for the PAT and take the tie game there, if you hit the PAT, then the Bears, they're playing not to lose. Maybe they try to get something downfield. Maybe they try to get a draw and have Tariq Cohen break a tackle or two, but if that does ha- doesn't happen, then they're just taking a knee and they're going to overtime. No, I just mean I love the fact that the players knew – yeah. That that was going to be the philosophy. Well, that's fine, but they got to move that from say we're going for two if there's a minute left or forty five seconds left or whatever to say if we get a touchdown in that situation in the last twenty seconds or fifteen seconds, then we're going for two or thirty seconds if the opponent is out of timeouts because of course the Bears had that one timeout and that proved to be very crucial in making their own comeback possible. I believe someone was kicking around. Was it the Bears radio? That said, and that said that this is the first time in the his, in the history of the NFL since a two point conversion came into being in 1994 in the NFL that a team had gotten a successful two point conversion to take the lead in the last minute and then lost the game. That's what it was. Wild. I actually think it might have been to take the lead in the fourth quarter, but obviously most teams aren't doing that with nine minutes left. Um, so. It's pretty wild. I, I understand what you're saying. All I'm saying is I've preached on this podcast before that if you're a head coach, you should have a philosophy, and you should your, your team should know the philosophy when it comes to that, when it comes to fourth and one from the 50. The philosophy never changes. That way, n- no one's ever surprised, and they can get mentally prepared when they're going down to score. Hey, we're not only going to have to score this, we're also going to have to get the two-point I like the consistency of philosophy. I just think that this particular one should be tweaked a little bit. Possibly. Okay, I agree. So you guys like both of you, you guys like the consistent philosophy, but Vic Fangio after the game said, we may not do that every time. That we, bothered we, me. We, we may shake it up. So Well, that might just be in, in relation to what, what you're the talking clock, about. If he's when thinking- he's saying, oh, shoot. We forced them to beat us, and they did. Well, but fe- even then, you should take thirty seconds mm-hmm. for the other team to have to get into field goal range if you, with the defense that you have. Well, well especially also, if yeah. you're this team. Th- this team, we've heard it for the past uh, however many years. Vance Joseph was head coach, and up until now, this is what this team is supposed to be. They're supposed to be a close them out team. What did Vance say? Oh, just give me a lead. Just give me a lead. Just give me a lead. I know it wasn't Vance, but you had a lead. Yeah, fourteen. 
you know, 13. The other lead that you had was 3 nothing. I mean, this team has been playing from behind for most of these two games. I mean, here they are. I think one of the things I want to do, and I'll probably kind of parse this out before um, uh, before tomorrow and I put this in kind of the post-game leftovers piece, is that this offensive production, almost all of it's happening when you're behind two scores in the fourth quarter. Right. Yep. It's when it's garbage time. Yes, or even when you're down 13-6, when the opponent is still kind of playing back a little bit. They're not attacking mm-hmm. in the same way they are earlier in the game or if it, or if it's or, or if they've got it you know or if they're behind it's a, a diff, they're going about it a different way you're seeing a little more umbrella type coverage for example remember last year against the Rams Broncos had you know score late made it interesting it was 23-20 didn't feel that close now this game because the Bears didn't pull away it was closer but the crazy thing is that we're one little blip one sec- we're literally one tick of the clock one tick of the clock away from saying, wow, the defense was incredible. They held them to 13 points. There's a lot of issues with this team, but at least they're one and one. At least they're one and one. They have now two two more weeks to get it figured out, right? Because if you lose in Lambeau, okay, well, now you just got to come back and win against Jacksonville, and you're back to two and two. We are one tick of the clock away from this team being in an acceptable position. And now, because of one singular second we are in a position where we're saying this team is staring in the face of 0-3 and anything can happen in a game they could come back here and play Jacksonville and lose that one and then it is uh, you you know you 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 might as well light the match and burn it down I think you might be there at 0-3 realistically and it's pretty much there now since no one is giving them a shot next week. Not not a single person. And I don't know how you could. And here, here, here's why you can't. Here's Vic after the game talking about what's on deck for the Broncos. He says, now we go up, go up and play a really good Green Bay team, who I assume, did they win today? Yep. They're 2-0 and and have one of the best all-time quarterbacks ever. No pressure. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> who did they play? Oh, the Vikings. He just assumed they beat the Vikings. <laughs> yep. Interesting. Well, I mean, Green Bay, Lambeau Field. And when they've got their stuff together, and you know their offense is still a work in progress on the defensive side, clearly they have and their Cousins stuff sucks. together. <laughs> Just make yeah. sure we get that part in there. And um, the Broncos have never won a game in Wisconsin. And the other thing is, most of those games haven't even been close. Now there are a couple of games you can throw in there in '03 and '96 when the Broncos had clinched their playoff spot and resting starters. But you go back eight years; it was early in John Fox's tenure, kind of like this is early in Vic Fangio's tenure, and the Packers made those Broncos then led by Kyle Orton, their own personal hand puppet. And I have a, I fear that if things get out of control early, this game next week might resemble the one that we saw in 2011, 49, 23, something like that. Ryan, we talked about and Mace, we talked about, you know, how in both of these weeks, the Broncos kind of get some momentum at the end. And it's exciting for for what they're doing. And maybe they've, you know, turned the corner. That's how it was last week to end the game. Oh, the offense picked up steam. What happens? Well, they come out and they're flat. Again, this week, uh, people are hoping that maybe some momentum can carry over. And I think that may end up being one of the worst things for this team. Let me tell you after the break why. 
What's up guys, Ryan Koenigsberg here, and I gotta tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward and anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Final segment here on the BSN Broncos podcast. And Zach, before the break, you said that maybe the, these close finishes, maybe just getting oh so close at the end but falling short could be a bad thing for the Broncos. Yeah, and and not just in the week-to-week -week where, oh, you know, you're close enough, so what, might as well keep Garrett Bowles in at left tackle. You know, you're, you're not tanking yet, so you're not going to put Jake Rogers in. You're not going to put Austin Schlotman in yet, of course. But also when you take a step back and look at the big picture and look at where this team is last year, they clearly would have been better off not winning any of those three games that they won near the end of the at the end of the season. They needed that full tank to really not just get a higher draft pick, but to see where this team is. This team may need to hit rock bottom, and rock bottom isn't five and ten, five and eleven, six and ten. It, it, it's not these games where yeah you are zero and two, and the games were terrible. For the first three quarters, you were not a good team. And then you kind of made it respectable in the end so that you give yourself some hope. That's what's been going on with the Broncos for the past few years on a week-to-week -week basis and on a season-to-season -season basis. And that clearly is not what this team needs. They, if it continues to go down this path, they need a hard reset. And you don't get hard resets from, from the, these keeping it close and giving yourself hope. I actually, that's where I actually think that maybe and fans don't want to hear this, I get that, but maybe a few more losses would not be the worst thing for this team long-term. Mm -hmm. And then, like, let's let's say it gets out of control. Let's say you're sitting at 2-6 and six at midseason. Even if Joe Flacco is doing all right, mm -hmm. that means you see Drew Locke at some point in the second half. And it better be soon. Because if you're having a bad year, you got to find out about Drew Locke if he's got potential, because if he's not, then you start... Looking at next year's draft class, then you start saying, okay, well, how does Drew Locke compare to Jake Fromm? How does Drew Locke compare to, um, I don't think they picked Tua. Uh, how does he compare to you know, Justin, Justin Herbert, Herbert Kelly Bryant? Name, name your quarterback who go, could go in round one or round two, Jacob Eason, if he comes out uh, from Washington. The other thing is, on the positive side, if you have a bad season, but you play Drew Locke and you find out that he's the answer, then great. You could be sitting there with a high draft pick and a chance to say, we can get a real game changer somewhere else, and we have the luxury of doing that because we already have the quarterback in our back pocket. Maybe, bam, Visca. Hey. <laughs> because if Emmanuel Sanders leaves in free agency, if you don't re-sign him, you're going to need a wide receiver one out there. Yeah, just got to figure out a way to keep him healthy. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But this team is on a precipice right now, and I would actually say not just this team, this club, this organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I think you got. Uh, 
I think this team does need to bottom out. And the crazy thing is that if they had started the rebuild when they should have started the rebuild, <laughs> after the Super Bowl, uh, you'd be done with it by now. Mm-hmm. Or if I'll give you the first year after the Super Bowl because you still had an elite defense and blah, blah, blah. You didn't know how bad Trevor Simeon really was. Watch your mouth. <laughs> you go ahead. I'll give you that one. So then you start the rebuild the year after that. Right now you're in the final stages of that rebuild. But to resist, 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 now you're going to be going on four seasons after that Super Bowl when all of that should have been a rebuild and you haven't even started it. It's just a waste. You just wasted four seasons for no reason. And you might as well hit rock bottom now because that's the only thing that I think is going to help this team. But the question is, is these early losses, are these early losses going to encourage them to sell? Because remember, they were starting 3-1, and 4-0 and mm-hmm. all these times. So they were never truly out of it nope. until week 12, week 13. This year, you start 0-3, 0-4, whatever it may be, 1-5, well, then, then come trade deadline time, you're actually – you really have to look yourself in the mirror and decide if you truly do want to sell and rebuild. Or maybe you start entertaining those thoughts a few weeks before the deadline. Right. So, so players should – a player should have more value on the, on the market if you're dealing him at week five or week six than week eight. So basically the, the deadline, I believe, is right around the beginning of November. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, I think I think it's the week before the Browns the game. The Browns. Okay, yeah. so let, let's play a little game. Let's quickly go through the schedule and do win-loss. Just where you realistically think they are right now up until that deadline. Next week, Packers in Green Bay. We're all going to say loss. 0-3. Jaguars at home. I think they win that one. I'll give them a win. I think that's the first dub of the okay. year. Okay, 1-3. Even though I'm enamored with the stash. <laughs> Chargers but- on the road. L. L. One and four. Titans at home. I'm going to give them the dub there. Okay. That's I, I've got to say the L because that's the type of power team that just drives the Broncos bonkers. I like them both. So we'll go two and four or one and five. Chiefs at home. L. L. Two and five, one and six. Colts on the road. L. L. And the Colts actually showed today against the Titans – why I believe they're going to win that division in the end, even without Andrew Luck. Here we go. I believe if I did the math right, that's two and six and one and seven Ugh. by the time the trade deadline is here. If that doesn't tell you that you should be sellers, I don't know what will because, Mace, like you said earlier, at this point, even if Joe Flacco is doing what he's doing now and the numbers would say he's a respectable quarterback, he should absolutely still be a starter and not benched, you know you're going to see Drew Lockett at some point. So what are you doing holding on to your assets? And when we're talking assets, we're not talking Derek Wolf and Shelby Harris. We're talking about Von Miller and Chris Harris Jr. Because we have to be realistic. Trading Derek Wolf, you may get a sixth, a seventh back. You're not getting anything. The value's not there no matter how much you know you love your emotional connection to Derek Wolf. He's not getting anything. The it's guys better than with nothing. Value, exactly. The guys with value are those two. And maybe Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, I view a sixth and seventh round pick as if Colby Wadman struggles or if you want to put the money elsewhere other than Brandon McManus on that contract, well, then you can pick a kicker or a punter. Or maybe you can 
draft a return specialist if you're sure. still looking. Now, Deontay Spencer has shown some promise, and I like the idea of giving him a few offensive snaps and maybe utilizing him on a jet sweep at some point yeah. in the next couple of weeks. But, again, the Broncos are still in this pattern draft-wise of picking to make up for past misfires. So if they're out of it, anything they can do to accumulate picks, even if those picks are rounds 5, 6, and 7, I think you have to be all for it. Yeah, the one that you mentioned that I would not like is Emmanuel, just because if you're going to play Drew Locke, you got to give him someone to throw to. Um, but I don't like. Yeah, I don't like that at all. And I think um, you're going to. But you and, have and Emmanuel can. St- I think he can still have a big year, even if Drew Locke is throwing him the ball down the stretch. The one that that no one wants to hear that is going to pick up steam if they keep losing is Von Miller. But the problem is if he can't get off the sack, mm-hmm. Schneidey's now mired in the yep. second streak of four games without a sack in his career, if he can't get his way out of that, if he can't start accumulating some sacks in the next few weeks, are you talking about trading a guy when his value is low? You never want to do that. You right. want to trade when the value is high. And they, because they're going to see a, a 30, 31-year-old guy that doesn't have any sacks or that, that's really struggling. Oh, man. He's got to go. He's never got. Has he never gotten Aaron Rodgers other than that in that preseason game here? Let me uh, go back and look. I Either actually, way. Wait. I, no, no, no. I have Vaughn Miller's game-by-game game here. Two sacks of Aaron Rodgers in 2011 in that game they lost by a 49-23 count as a rookie. And then in 2015 against Green Bay, he did have a sack. Okay. So he's got three. Yeah. There you go. He's got to keep that rolling. He's got to get two this week, get himself back on track. It's the, just – The Aaron Broncos R- have to actually force Aaron Rodgers to hold on to the ball for more than two seconds because right now – the book is written on this defense. Yep. Get the ball out fast or get the quarterback out of the pocket. You do those things, you defuse the pass rush. I watched them – who did they play today? Oh, yeah, I watched them put a um, single up Danielle Hunter on Jimmy Graham. So maybe they'll do the same for Von Miller. <laughs> Interesting. Just hand him a sack. <laughs> uh, it, it, is, it, it could get dark quick around here. And Is it darkest before the dawn or as – Mao Zedong was supposed to have said, but apparently mistranslated. Is it darkest right before it gets pitch black? <laughs> Are you not? That's an optimist or pessimist glasses half full, half empty sort of thing. Well, I think you, we, as we just detailed, you need it. You need it to get pitch black, because yeah. that's the only thing that I think is going to wake up John Elway. And and I said this to Zach as we were sitting down writing our stories after the game. But John Elway's greatest quality as a player has proved to be his greatest hindrance as a general manager, and it's, a, and it's a refusal to lose. And I respect it. I respect John for being who he is and not changing because in the end, he is such a fierce competitor. The idea of just, being, of just understanding that losing is going to happen just doesn't exist in his brain, and I totally get it, and I don't hold it against him because you can't ask a guy to be someone he's not. But... That refusal to accept that losing is a likely is not just a possibility but a likelihood has become a, a massive smear on his resume. Well, you're now 11 and 23 since the start of the 2017 season, nine and 23 in the last 32 games, four and 12 in the last 16. Oh, you have a six-game losing streak that is the longest active losing streak in the NFL. Oh, if you can't accept those. 
data points as the reality of what you are right now, whether you're a fan or whether you're up in the front office, I think you're a little delusional right now. This team is not a good team, and it needs to face reality. That th- this could be a long way out. Four and twelve. Four and twelve in the last sixteen. And made two that. of those four, you had a Shelby Harris interception <laughs> in the last minute against Pittsburgh, and you had Philip Rivers. Because he got blocked. He got blown yeah. off the line. Yeah, and <laughs> Philip Rivers yeah. throwing an incomplete pass to stop the clock, giving you extra time for a comeback in Los Angeles last year. If he just hands it off, or even just falls to the ground, the Broncos probably don't win that game. So you are basically two phenomenal strokes of luck away from being 2-14 and 14 in your last 16 games. This is not a good team. So let's say the cookie crumbled the wrong way in those two games. I'm sorry, Adam Rank. <laughs> All the hate you got from Broncos country looks like you were uh, pretty spot on. I mean, there are promising things about this, and I again, we did point the positives. I, we didn't mention Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons, who both completely Kareem balled Jackson's out. Kareem Jackson's a baller. Man, mm-hmm. I love Kareem Jackson. Mm-hmm. And well, I, lo- I love the attitude he plays with as well. Yep. Yeah, but then he was also encouraging people to not talk to the media in the locker room, so I <laughs> yeah. credit where it's due and, and blame where it, where it is as well. I, but, but as no. a player, I'm I'm fine with him. Uh, great player. Justin Simmons, exactly what we thought he'd be in this and defense. And he did talk Flying a lot, around. by the way. And he, he's on the way to another good guy award, I think. Yeah. Yep. yep. He's a, a good player, a great guy. But, man, the losing culture is what I come away with is just it's what we underestimated the most in this offseason is we really thought Vic could come in here, he could get the defense right, you get Flacco back there, that's going to that's gonna set the offense on a decent path. But one thing I just didn't account for is that these guys have gotten used to losing. And when you are uh, losers, for lack of a better term, you find ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I grew up with this in Tampa. This looks very familiar to me, to what I saw decades ago from the Bucks. And it, it's funny how you find ways to lose, and some, and you walk on such a narrow edge that all it takes is one flag, you know, one mis, mis, misfortune against you, and you just go careening off the tightrope, as it were. The goal is to turn to turn that tightrope into a sturdy bridge, so when the winds of fate blow, you don't fall off. But right now, the Broncos are on a tightrope, and. and and that's and that's and because of that, they have so little margin for error, and they're paying for it week after week. And I'm sorry, but Joe Flacco is not the guy to come in here and turn this culture around because he is who he is. He's cool, Joe. And like we hear every week, Joe's gonna be Joe. When things are good, he's gonna be calm. When things are bad, he's gonna be calm. And today, after the game, you know, it's 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 the same type of answers where. He's not worried. He's not he's not bothered. He doesn't see this losing culture yet because he's still getting integrated. It's oh, look, guys, guys, come on. It he, he Listen. doesn't right, exactly. Listen, he Zach. <laughs> he doesn't feel he's, he's that, a pro. Right. But he, he he's a pro that isn't that is great if you have winners around him. He fits in. But I don't think he's going to come in and totally change it by himself. I forget who we were around. It might have been Mace even who said it, but we were talking about it the other day, and it's like 
yeah, well, in Joe Flacco's best years when he looked like a great leader, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, he was on a team with Ray Lewis. Mm. <laughs> this team doesn't have their Ray Lewis. Ed Reed. Not just Ray Lewis. Ed, Ed freaking Reed. Reed. Right, right. <laughs> like that, those were the leaders of that team. Joe Flacco was just this, the guy who kept the ship steady. Your Ed Reed right now is Todd Davis, and he's on the sideline. He's your thug, <laughs> which apparently is a compliment now, according to Von Miller. <laughs> Felt so weird <laughs> tweeting that out, being I'm, like, "This is a compliment." I know, because I like really respect Todd Davis, the human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it felt really weird typing out the sentence, "Todd Davis is a thug." Well, he is—he's the classic epitome of a player who knows how to flip a switch. I mean, there have been guys like that all through the course of the NFL that were gentle, kind, compassionate souls in every manner of life but when they were go- they went on the football field they flipped the switch it's something i was reminded of um when i worked for carolina now eventually they got away from this and started bringing in guys like uh, greg hardy but they went through a period after <laughs> the ray caruth fred lane oh. years where they in their drafting and player acquisition had this philosophy that we would rather bring in the the guy who's a good human being and and hope that he can flip a switch on game day and turn into a bad mf then bring in the guy who's a bad mf in every way shape or form and then just hope that he can stay out of trouble mm. well, so Todd Davis is kind of the he's the former category so if we ever call you guys a thug you mean it in the best way ever. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we know how to flip a switch. When we turn on this podcast, we get down to the nitty-gritty. Yes, we do. Uh, not the most exciting day to listen to a breakdown of a Broncos game, but we try to shoot you guys straight as we've just crossed the one-hour threshold here. I think that's going to wrap it up for us on the BSN Broncos podcast tonight. Quick shout-out to 702 Pilot and his Air Force Falcons for a win this weekend. They w- it was well-earned, and I have a lot of respect for that football program and team and all of those student-athletes. And like I tweeted, student-athlete doesn't even come close to what those kids go through. So congrats to them. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss more about this game. We will digest it a little further and then, of course, take all of your questions. So make sure you get your questions in on this podcast, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's getting me down, waiting up for you.
you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-US wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials.